Section 16 of Myths of Babylonia and Assyria. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Myths of Babylonia and Assyria by Donald Alexander Mackenzie. Chapter 13, Part 2 Astrology and Astronomy. The Babylonian creation myth states that Merodach having fixed the stars of the zodiac, made three stars for each month. Mr. Robert Brown, who has dealt as exhaustively with the astronomical problems of Babylonia as the available data permitted him, is of opinion that the leading stars of three constellations are referred to, viz. 1. the central or zodiacal constellations, 2. the northern constellations, and 3 the southern constellations. We have, thus, a scheme of thirty-six constellations. The twelve zodiacal stars were flanked on either side by twelve non-zodiacal stars. Mr. Brown quotes Diodorus, who gave a resume of Babylonian astronomical astrology in this connection. He said that, quote, the five planets were called interpreters, and in subjection to these were marshaled thirty stars, which were styled divinities of the council. The chiefs of the divinities are twelve in number, to each of whom they assign a month and one of the twelve signs of the zodiac. Through these twelve signs, sun, moon, and planets run their courses. Quote, and with the zodiacal circle they mark out twenty-four stars, half of which, they say, are arranged in the north and half in the south. Mr. Brown shows that the thirty stars referred to, quote, constituted the original Euphradian lunar zodiac, the parent of the seven ancient lunar zodiacs which have come down to us, namely the Persian, Sogdian, Khorasmian, Chinese, Indian, Arab, and Coptic schemes. The three constellations associated with each month had each a symbolic significance. They reflected the characters of their months. At the height of the rainy season, for instance, the month of Ramon, the thunder god, was presided over by the zodiacal constellation of the water urn, the northern constellation fish of the canal, and the southern, the horse. In India, the black horse was sacrificed at rain-getting and fertility ceremonies. The months of growth, pestilence, and scorching sun heat were in turn symbolized. The great bear was the chariot, or Charles's wain, and the milky way, the river of the high cloud, the celestial Euphrates, as in Egypt it was the celestial Nile. Of special interest among the many problems presented by Babylonian astronomical lore is the theory of cosmic periods, or ages of the universe. In the Indian, Greek, and Irish mythologies there are four ages, the silvern, or white, golden, or yellow, the bronze, red, and the iron, black. As has been already indicated, Mr. R. Brown shows that, quote, 
the indian system of yugas or ages of the world presents many features which forcibly remind us of the euphratean scheme Close quote. the babylonians had ten antediluvian kings who were reputed to have reigned for vast periods the total of which amounted to one hundred twenty saroi or four hundred thirty two thousand years these figures at once recall the indian maha yuga of three million three hundred twenty thousand years that is three hundred thirty two thousand times ten apparently the babylonian and indian systems of calculation were of common origin in both countries the measurements of time and space were arrived at by utilizing the numerals ten and six when primitive man began to count he adopted a method which comes naturally to every schoolboy he utilized his fingers twice five gave him ten and from ten he progressed to twenty and then on to a hundred and beyond in making measurements his hands arms and feet were at his service we are still measuring by feet and yards standardized strides in this country while those who engage in the immemorial art of knitting and in so doing repeat designs found on neolithic pottery continue to measure in finger breadths finger lengths and hand breadths as did the ancient folks who called an arm length a cubit nor has the span been forgotten especially by boys in their games with marbles the space from the end of the thumb to the end of the little finger when the hand is extended must have been an important measurement from the earliest times as he made progress in calculations the primitive babylonian appears to have been struck by other details in his anatomy besides his sets of five fingers and five toes he observed for instance that his fingers were divided into three parts and his thumb into two parts only four fingers multiplied by three gave him twelve and multiplying twelve by three he reached thirty-six apparently the figure six attracted him his body was divided into six parts two arms two legs the head and the trunk his two ears two eyes and mouth and nose also gave him six the basal six multiplied by his ten fingers gave him sixty and sixty times two for his two hands gave him one hundred twenty in babylonian arithmetic six and sixty are important numbers and it is not surprising to find that in the system of numerals the signs for one and ten combined represent sixty in fixing the length of a mythical period his first great calculation of one hundred twenty came naturally to the babylonian and when he understood to measure the zodiac he equated time and space by fixing on one hundred twenty degrees his first zodiac was the sumerian lunar zodiac which contained thirty moon chambers associated with the thirty stars of the tablets and referred to by diodorus as divinities of the council the chiefs of the thirty numbered twelve in this system the year began in the winter solstice mr hewitt has shown 
that the chief annual festival of the indian dravidians begins with the first full moon after the winter festival and mr brown emphasizes the fact that the list of tamil dravidian lunar and solar months are named like the babylonian constellations lunar chronology wrote professor max mailer quote, seems everywhere to have preceded solar chronology Close quote. the latter semitic babylonian system had twelve solar chambers and thirty-six constellations each degree was divided into sixty minutes and each minute into sixty seconds the hours of the day and night each numbered twelve multiplying six by ten or pur the babylonian arrived at sixty or sauce sixty times ten gave him six hundred or ner and six hundred times six thirty six hundred or sar while thirty six hundred times ten gave him thirty six thousand and thirty six thousand times twelve four hundred thirty two thousand years or one hundred twenty saroi each is equal to the sar multiplied by the sauce times two pur signifies heap the ten fingers closed after being counted the ner signifies foot mr george burton suggests that when six times sixty fingers gave sixty this number was multiplied by the ten toes with the result that six hundred was afterwards associated with the feet or ner the babylonian sign for ten resembles the impression of two feet with heels closed and toes apart this suggests a primitive record for the first round of finger counting in india this babylonian system of calculation was developed during the brahmanical period the four yugas or ages representing the four fingers used by the primitive mathematicians totaled twelve thousand divine years a period which was called the maha yuga it equaled the babylonian one hundred twenty saroi multiplied by one hundred ten times a hundred of these periods gave a day of brahma each day of the gods it was explained by the brahmans was a year to mortals multiplied by three hundred sixty days twelve thousand divine years equaled four million three hundred twenty thousand human years this maha yuga multiplied by one thousand gave the day of brahma as four billion three hundred twenty million human years the shortest indian yuga is the babylonian one hundred twenty saroi multiplied by ten equals twelve thousand divine years for the kali yuga twice that number gives the devapara yuga of twenty four hundred divine years and the treta yuga is twenty four hundred plus twelve hundred equals thirty six hundred divine years and the krita yuga thirty six hundred plus twelve hundred equals forty eight hundred divine years the influence of babylonia is apparent in these calculations during the vedic period yuga usually signified a generation 
and there are no certain references to the four ages as such. The names Kali, Dvapara, Treta, and Krita occur as the designations of throws of dice. It was after the arrival of the latecomers, the post-Vedic Aryans, that the Yuga system was developed in India. In Indian Myth and Legend, page 334, it is shown that the Indian and Irish ages have the same color sequence, one, white or silvern, two, red or bronze, three, yellow or golden, and four, black or iron. The Greek order is one, golden, two, silvern, three, bronze, and four, iron. The Babylonians colored the seven planets as follows, the moon, silvern, the sun, golden, Mars, red, Saturn, black, Jupiter, orange, Venus, yellow, and Mercury, blue. As the ten antediluvian kings who reigned for 120 Saroi had an astral significance, their long reigns corresponding, quote, with the distances separating certain of the principal stars in or near the ecliptic, close quote, it seems highly probable that the planets were similarly connected with mythical ages which were equated with the four quarters of the celestial regions and the four regions of the earth, which in Gaelic story are called the four red divisions of the world. Three of the planets may have been heralds of change. Venus, as Dilbat, was the proclaimer, and both Jupiter and Mercury were called face voices of light and heroes of the rising sun, among other names. Jupiter may have been the herald of the golden age as a morning star. This planet was also associated with bronze as Kakub Urud, the star of bronze, while Mars was Kakub Aban Urud, the star of the bronze fish stone. Mercury, the lapis lazuli planet, may have been connected with the black Saturn, the ghost of the dead sun, the demoniac elder god. In Egypt, lapis lazuli was the hair color of Ra when he grew old, and Egyptologists translate it as black. The rare and regular appearances of Mercury may have suggested the planet's connection with a recurring age. Venus, as an evening star, might be regarded as the herald of the lunar or silver age. She was propitious as a bearded deity, and interchanged with Merodach as a seasonal herald. Connecting Jupiter with the sun as a propitious planet, and with Mars as a destroying planet, Venus with the moon, and Mercury with Saturn, we have left four color schemes which suggest the golden, silvern, bronze, and iron ages. The Greek order of mythical ages may have had a solar significance, beginning as it does with the golden period. On the other hand, the Indian and Irish systems begin with the silvern or white lunar period. In India, the white age, or Treta Yuga, was the age of perfect men, and in Greece, the golden age was the age of men who lived like gods. Thus, 
the first ages in both cases were perfect ages. The Bronze Age of Greece was the age of notorious fighters and takers of life. In Babylonia, the bronze planet Mars was the symbol of the destroying Nergal, god of war and pestilence, while Jupiter was also a destroyer as Merodach, the slayer of Tiamat. In India, the Black Age is the age of wickedness. The Babylonian Saturn, as we have seen, is black, and its god Ninip was the destroying boar, which recalls the black boar of the Egyptian demon, or elder god, Set. The Greek Kronos was a destroyer even of his own children. All the elder gods had demoniac traits, like the ghosts of human beings. As the Babylonian lunar zodiac was imported into India before solar worship and the solar zodiac were developed, so too may have been the germs of the Yuga doctrine, which appears to have a long history. Greece, on the other hand, came under the influence of Babylon at a much later period. The Egypt, Ra, the sun god, was an antediluvian king, and he was followed by Osiris. Osiris was slain by Set, who was depicted sometimes red and sometimes black. There was also a Horus Age. The Irish system of ages suggests an early cultural drift into Europe, through Asia Minor, and along the uplands occupied by the representatives of the Alpine or Armenoid peoples who have been traced from Hindu Kush to Brittany. The culture of Gaul resembles that of India in certain particulars. Both the Gauls and the post-Vedic Aryans, for instance, believed in the doctrine of transmigration of souls and practiced Suti. After the Roman occupation of Gaul, Ireland appears to have been the refuge of Gaulish scholars, who imported their beliefs and traditions and laid the foundations of that brilliant culture which shed luster on the Green Isle in late pagan and early Christian times. The part played by the Mitanni people of Aryan speech in distributing Asiatic culture throughout Europe may have been considerable, but we know little or nothing regarding their movements and influence, nor has sufficient evidence been forthcoming to connect them with the cremating invaders of the Bronze Age, who penetrated as far as northern Scotland and Scandinavia. On the other hand, it is certain that the Hittites adopted the planetary system of Babylonia and passed it on to the Europeans, including the Greeks. The five planets Ninip, Merodach, Nergal, Ishtar, and Nebo were called by the Greeks after their gods Kronos, Zeus, Ares, Aphrodite, and Hermes, and by the Romans Saturnus, Jupiter, Mars, Venus, and Mercurius. It must be recognized, however, that these equations were somewhat arbitrary. Ninip resembled Kronos and Saturnus as a father, but he was also at the same time a son. He was the Egyptian Horus the Elder and Horus the Younger in one. Merodach was similarly of complex character, a combination of Ea, Anu, Enlil, and Tammuz, 
who acquired, when exalted by the Amoritic dynasty of Babylon, the attributes of the thunder god Adad-Ramon, in the form of Amuru, lord of the mountains. During the Hammurabi age, Amuru was significantly popular in personal names. It is as Amuru-Ramon that Merodach bears comparison with Zeus. He also links with Hercules. Too much must not be made, therefore, of the Greek and Roman identifications of alien deities with their own. Mula, the Gaulish mule god, may have resembled Mars somewhat, but it is a far cry from Mars Mula to Mars Nergal, as it is also from the Gaulish Mokus, the boar called Mercury, to Nebo, the god of culture, who was the Mercury of the Tigro-Euphrates Valley. Similarly, the differences between Jupiter Amon of Egypt and Jupiter Merodach of Babylon were more pronounced than the resemblances. The basal idea in Babylonian astrology appears to be the recognition of the astral bodies as spirits or fates, who exercised an influence over the gods, the world, and mankind. These were worshipped in groups when they were yet nameless. The group addressed, Powerful, O sevenfold, one are ye, may have been a constellation consisting of seven stars. The worship of stars and planets, which were identified and named, never seems to have spread, says Professor Saise, quote, beyond the learned classes, and to have remained to the last an artificial system. The mass of the people worshipped the stars as a whole, but it was only as a whole and not individually. The masses perpetuated ancient animistic beliefs, like the pre-Hellenic inhabitants of Greece. Wrote Herodotus, quote, The Pelasgians, as I was informed at Dodona, formerly offered all things indiscriminately to the gods. They distinguished them by no name or surname, for they were hitherto unacquainted with either. But they called them gods, which by its etymology means disposers, from observing the orderly disposition and distribution of the various parts of the universe. The oldest deities are those which bore no individual names. They were simply fates, or groups called sevenfold. The crude giant gods of Scotland are Formorians, and do not have individual names, as in Ireland. Families and tribes were controlled by the fates, or nameless gods, which might appear as beasts or birds, or be heard knocking or screaming. In the Babylonian astral hymns, the star spirits are associated with the gods, and are revealers of the decrees of fate. Quote, Ye brilliant stars, ye bright ones, to destroy evil did Anu create you? At thy command, mankind was named, or created. Give thou the word, and with thee let the great God stand. Give thou my judgment, make my decision. 
the indian evidence shows that the constellations and especially the bright stars were identified before the planets indeed in vedic literature there is no certain reference to a single planet although constellations are named it seems highly probable that before the babylonian gods were associated with the astral bodies the belief obtained that the stars exercised an influence over human lives in one of the indian forest books for instance reference is made to a man who was born under the nakshatra rohini nakshatras are stars in the rigveda and later and lunar mansions in brahmanical compositions Quote, rohini or ruddy is the name of a conspicuously reddish star tarai or aldebaran and denotes the group of the hyades this reference may be dated before 600 bc and perhaps 800 bc from greece comes the evidence of plutarch regarding the principles of babylonian astrology he wrote quote, respecting the planets which they call the birth ruling divinities the chaldeans lay down that two venus and jupiter are propitious and two mars and saturn are malign and three sun moon and mercury of a middle nature and one common Close quote. mr brown comments quote, that is an astrologer would say these three are propitious with the good and may be malign with the bad jastrow's views in this connection seem highly controversial he holds that babylonian astrology dealt simply with national affairs and had no concern with the conditions under which the individual was born it did not predict the fate in store for him he believes that the greeks transformed babylonian astrology and infused it with the spirit of individualism which is a characteristic of their religion and that they were the first to give astrology a personal significance jastrow also perpetuates the idea that astronomy began with the greeks he says quote, several centuries before the days of alexander the great the greeks had begun to cultivate the study of the heavens not for purposes of divination but prompted by a scientific spirit as an intellectual discipline that might help them to solve the mysteries of the universe it is possible however to overrate the scientific spirit of the greeks who like the japanese in our own day were accomplished borrowers from other civilizations that astronomy had humble beginnings in greece as elsewhere is highly probable the late mr andrew lang wrote in this connection quote, the very oddest example of the survival of the notion that the stars are men and women is found in the pax of aristophanes trigaeus in that comedy has just made an expedition to heaven a slave meets him and asks him is not the story true then that we become stars when we die the answer is certainly and trigaeus points out the star into which ion of chios has just been metamorphosed Close quote. 
Mr. Lang added, quote, Aristophanes is making fun of some popular Greek superstition. Close quote. The Eskimos, Persians, Aryo-Indians, Germans, New Zealanders, and others had a similar superstition. Jastrow goes on to say that the Greeks, quote, imparted their scientific view of the universe to the East. They became the teachers of the East in astronomy as in medicine and other sciences, and the credit of having discovered the law of the precession of the equinoxes belongs to Hipparchus, the Greek astronomer, who announced this important theory about the year 130 B.C. Close quote. Undoubtedly, the Greeks contributed to the advancement of the science of astronomy, with which, as other authorities believe, they became acquainted after it and became well developed as a science by the Assyrians and Babylonians. Jastrow says, quote, In return for improved methods of astronomical calculation, which, it may be assumed, contact with Greek science gave to the Babylonian astronomers, the Greek accepted from Babylonians the names of the constellations of the ecliptic. Close quote. This is a grudging admission. They evidently accepted more than the mere names. Jastrow's hypothesis is certainly interesting, especially as he is an oriental linguist of high repute, but it is not generally accepted. The sudden advance made by the Tigro-Euphratean astronomers when Assyria was at the height of its glory may have been due to the discoveries made by great native scientists, the Newtons and the Herschels of past ages, who had studied the data accumulated by generations of astrologers, the earliest recorders of the movements of the heavenly bodies. It is hard to believe that the Greeks made much progress as scientists before they had identified the planets, and become familiar with the Babylonian constellations through the medium of the Hittites or the Phoenicians. What is known for certain is that long centuries before the Greek science was heard of, there were scientists in Babylonia. During the Sumerian period, Professor Goodspeed says, quote, the forms and relations of geometry were employed for purposes of augury. The heavens were mapped out, and the courses of the heavenly bodies traced to determine the bearing of their movements upon human destinies. Several centuries before Hipparchus was born, the Assyrian kings had in their palaces official astronomers who were able to foretell, with varying degrees of accuracy, when eclipses would take place. Instructions were sent to various observatories, in the king's name, to send in reports of forthcoming eclipses. A translation of one of these official documents, sent from the observatory of Babylon to Nineveh, has been published by Professor Harper. The following are extracts from it. Quote, as for the eclipse of the moon, about which the king, my lord, has written to me, a watch was kept for it in the cities of Akkad, Borshipa, and Nippur. We observed it ourselves in the city of Akkad. And whereas the king, my lord, ordered me to observe also the eclipse of the sun, I watched to see whether it took place or not, and what passed before my eyes, I now report to the king, my lord. It was an eclipse of the moon that took place. It was total over Syria, 
and the shadow fell on the land of the Amorites, the land of the Hittites, and in part on the land of the Chaldees. Professor Saise comments, quote, We gather from this letter that there were no less than three observatories in northern Babylonia, one at Akkad, near Sapara, one at Nippur, now Nifur, and one at Borshipa, within sight of Babylon. As Borshipa possessed a university, it was natural that one of the three observatories should be established there. It is evident that before the astronomers of Nineveh could foretell eclipses, they had achieved considerable progress as scientists. The data at their disposal probably covered nearly 2,000 years. Mr. Brown, Jr., calculates that the signs of the zodiac were fixed in the year 2084 B.C. These star groups do not now occupy the positions in which they were observed by the early astronomers, because the revolving earth is rocking like a top, with the result that the pole does not always keep pointing at the same spot in the heavens. Each year, the meeting place of the imaginary lines of the ecliptic and equator is moving westward at the rate of about fifty seconds. In time, ages hence, the pole will circle round to the point it spun at when the constellations were named by the Babylonians. It is by calculating the period occupied by this world curve that the date 2084 B.C. has been arrived at. As a result of the world-rocking process, the present-day signs of the zodiac do not correspond with the constellations. In March, for instance, when the sun crosses the equator, it enters the sign of the ram, Aries but does not reach the constellation till the twentieth. When the ecliptic was marked off into the twelve regions, and the signs of the zodiac were designated, the year of three hundred sixty-five and one-fourth days was known, says Goodspeed, quote, though the common year was reckoned according to twelve months and thirty days each, and equated with the solar year by intercalating a month at the proper times the month was divided into weeks of seven days. The clepsydra and the sundial were Babylonian inventions for measuring time. The sundial of Ahaz was probably of Babylonian design. When the shadow went ten degrees backward, 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 11, ambassadors were sent from Babylon to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 31. It was believed that the king's illness was connected with the incident. According to astronomical calculation, there was a partial eclipse of the sun, which was visible at Jerusalem, on 11th January, 689 B.C., about 11.30 a.m. When the upper part of the solar disk was obscured, the shadow on the dial was strangely affected. The Babylonian astrologers, in their official documents, were more concerned regarding international omens than those which affected individuals. They made observations not only of the stars, but also the moon, which, as has been shown, was one of their planets, and took note of the clouds and the wind likewise. 
as portions of the heavens were assigned to various countries so was the moon divided into four quarters for the same purpose the upper part for the north getium the lower for the south akkad or babylonia the eastern part for elam and the western for amuru the crescent was also divided in like manner looking southward the astrologers assigned the right horn to the west and the left to the east in addition certain days and certain months were connected with the different regions lunar astrology was therefore of complicated character when the moon was dim at the particular phase which was connected with amuru it was believed that the fortunes of that region were in decline and if it happened to shine brightly in the babylonian phase the time was considered auspicious to wage war in the west great importance was attached to eclipses which were fortunately recorded with the result that the ancient astronomers were ultimately enabled to forecast them the destinies of the various states in the four quarters were similarly influenced by the planets when venus for instance rose brightly in the field of anu it was a prosperer for elam if it were dim it foretold misfortune much importance was also attached to the positions occupied by the constellations when the planets were propitious or otherwise no king would venture forth on an expedition under a yoke of inauspicious stars biblical references to the stars make mention of well-known babylonian constellations canst thou bind the sweet influence of pleiades or loose the bands of orion canst thou bring forth matsorot perhaps the zodiac in his season or canst thou guide arcturus with his sons knowest thou the ordinances of heaven canst thou set the dominion thereof in the earth job chapter thirty eight verses thirty one through thirty three which maketh arcturus orion and pleiades in the chambers of the south job chapter nine verse nine seek him that maketh the seven stars and orion and turneth the shadow of death into the morning and maketh the day dark with night amos chapter five verse eight the so-called science of astrology which had origin in ancient babylonia and spread eastward and west is not yet extinct and has its believers even in our own country at the present day although they are not nearly so numerous as when shakespeare made malvolio read quote, in my stars i am above thee but be not afraid of greatness some are born great some achieve greatness and some have greatness thrust upon them thy fates open their hands Close quote. or when byron wrote quote, ye stars which are the poetry of heaven if in your bright leaves we would read the fate of men and empires tis to be forgiven that in our aspirations to be great our destinies o'erleap their mortal state and claim a kindred with you our grave astronomers are no longer astrologers but they still call certain constellations by the names given them in babylonia every time we look to our watches we are reminded of the ancient mathematicians 
who counted on their fingers and multiplied ten by six to give us minutes and seconds and divided the day and the night into twelve hours by multiplying six by the two leaden feet of time the past lives in the present end of chapter thirteen